In the book, there are these eight attributes that I talk about, and I don't need to go through all eight, but some of them include things like empathy, like self-awareness, which are important attributes. If you think about, um, you ever seen any of those Marvel movies, uh, right, Avengers, they have all those infinity stones, and you bring, all, you bring all those infinity stones together to unleash this tremendous power. So it's kind of like that for leading with vulnerability, and there's eight of these attributes or infinity stones, if you want to think of them in that regard, that when you bring them together, help unleash this power. Empathy and self-awareness are some of them as well. Um, because obviously, if you don't have those things, it becomes very hard to create that connection and that relationship with others. So there's no exact balance that you need to strive for. I think the best piece of advice I can give is to make sure that you always bring both and have the context of the situation kind of guide you on what you should be using. That was best-selling author, global keynote speaker, and futurist, Jacob Morgan. And this episode, Jacob and I sat down to talk about his new book, Leading with Vulnerability, the state of the world of work today, what CEOs are expecting from their people teams, and a lot more. So we'll get into that conversation right now. All right, let's say you're a company looking for a strategic partnership to help you transform your people operations. You know you've got dozens of options out there, but here's why Amplify is the best one. Amplify consults and advises on what it takes to build modern people teams, from the kickoff to weekly update meetings to interview coordination and every step in between. This helps them clearly understand your work style, culture, and needs so they can be a deeply informed advisor throughout the engagement. And they understand the complexity and profile of a modern people executive because they're embedded in that world. Founder Lars Schmidt has spent over 20 years working alongside chief human resources officers, building next generation HR programs and working with companies like Forbes and Fast Company. These days, with everything moving at lightning speed, nothing is more important than clarity and simplicity. Cut through all the noise with Amplify. Hey everyone, welcome to the Redefining Work podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Jacob Morgan. Jacob is a, a multi-hyphenate. He's a best-selling author, he's a speaker, he's a well-known futurist, he's the author of a new book that we're going to be spending time with, some time covering in just a few minutes. Um, but Jacob, I'd love to welcome you to the show and just have you open with an introduction for the audience. Yeah, thank you so much for for having me. I've been following some of your work for it's been. I think we've been connected online for many, many years. So it's great to to finally chat. Um, oh man, where to begin about me? I'm I'm somebody who got involved in this space by having bad jobs working for other people. So for the past 15, 16 years, I've been speaking about leadership and the future of work and employee experience and writing books and creating content on this stuff and loving every minute of it. Yeah. Well, let's just kind of start with the level set, right? Because I know you spend a lot of your time studying this space. Obviously, as a futurist, you're, you have a range of different data inputs that are helping you shape your perspectives and views on kind of the now and the next. Let's take a moment and focus on the now. Like, how do you, we've obviously, in the world of work broadly, and this isn't specific to just the field of HR, this is just business, this is humanity, this is everything. Um, you know, we've been through so many shifts over the last couple of years. What is your perspective on like the world of work today? How, how do you describe this moment of time that we're in? Um, I don't like it, <laughs> simply put. Um, 
I feel like the business environment that we are all living and working in is not, it's not reminiscent of what I remember as far as work. So what do I mean by that? I mean, some of the concepts such as working hard, some of the concepts such as being more accountable and not viewing yourself as a victim inside of an organization. Some of those concepts I feel like have been lost. And we see a lot of trending things on social platforms like TikTok and social media, such as lazy girl jobs. There's something for Mondays. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's kind of like easing into Mondays, loud quitting. There's just all these negative trends, even the battle of like work from home versus work to the office. And this is a hard thing for me to say because I've written books and I've talked about employee experience for many, many years, but it feels like the pendulum has swung too much into one direction and now it's trying to rebalance a little bit. And for me, the work ethic, and I wrote an article about this a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, in the film Snow White, there was this mentality, the whistle while you work mentality, which meant that you approach difficult problems with a positive attitude. You're okay to work hard, even if it's not always something that you want to be doing. That mindset and that mentality seems to be missing from a lot of organizations. And it's not something that I think is good for anybody because it teaches us complacency. It teaches you to become in your comfort zone. And I think it misunderstands the relationship that employees have with an organization. Now, again, I'm not saying that organizations and leaders should treat you poorly. There's obviously a balance here, but I think the balance has really been shifted too much in one direction where it's not, I don't think, accurately representing what the real world looks like when it comes to work and when it comes to having a job. Yeah. I mean, how does that get recalibrated, right? Because I think we, we've seen that swing on both sides. We, it wasn't that long ago that we're in this period that we often call the great resignation, right? And the job market was on fire and people were, you know, leaving. And so now obviously the economy is constricted a bit of the last, you know, 18 plus months. Uh, you know, layoffs in tech certainly we've seen our fair share of. How, how, do, you, how do you kind of rebalance there? I should say, how do you see that kind of push and pull between you know, employers being in charge, employees being in charge, and perhaps a lack of harmony between what they each want. Well, the business environment, I think, is going to be recalib recalibrated by force. Uh, and it's actually something that we're starting to see, yeah. to your point, when it comes to layoffs, right? Because if you think about it, if you're the CEO of a company or you're a business owner and you have employees who work for you, and imagine you have different types of employees. You have Lars over there and you have Jacob over here. Lars is saying, hey, you know what? I don't really want to come into the office. I'm happy to be working from home. You know, I don't believe in like any of that stuff. Like, how dare you ask me to come back into the office? And then you have Jacob who's saying, you know what? I'm happy to come back into the office. I'll do whatever it takes. I don't mind. And then you go through a tough economic time. Who's the employee that's going to be let go? Is it going to be Jacob or is it going to be Lars? Chances are it's going to be Lars. Jacob is going to keep the job. So I think what a lot of people are forgetting, a lot of employees are forgetting, we're becoming very short-sighted with what's happening in the economic environment. We have tried to grab as much as we can, understandably, right? During the pandemic, we've tried to grab as much as we can in terms of, I want higher salaries. I want equity. I don't want to come into the office. We grabbed as much as we can because that's the environment in which it was. We took advantage of it. I get it. Now the environment is shifting. Now we're talking about a potential economic recession, especially here in the States. There's a lot of economic uncertainty. A lot of CEOs want their employees to come back into the organization. There's talks of potential recessions in 2024. So in that kind of uncertainty, 
we have to take the perspective of the leaders. We have to, to take, take the perspective of the CEO of the organization on who they're going to want to keep and who they're going to want to let go. So if you're an employee right now inside of an organization, you should not be trying to grab more. You should be thinking about your security and your safety beyond just the next three months. You should be thinking about, well, do I want to have my job in 2024? potentially into 2025, what is it going to take for me to do to make sure that when we get through a tough economic time, that my leader, the CEO of my organization looks at me as somebody who's being indispensable. And I think the challenge is, and I was talking about this with uh, Matt Higgins, uh, who's an investor. He wrote a, a book called Burn the Boats on my podcast fairly recently. It used to be that you would make yourself an indispensable member of a team. And then once you become indispensable, you use that leverage as a way to negotiate more salary or things that you want, which is fine. You've earned the right. You've become indispensable. And what we're starting to see now is that we're negotiating for more. We're asking for more. We're trying to take more. We don't want to show up into the office, but we haven't made ourselves indispensable yet. And in that kind of an environment, you don't have any leverage to make those demands and to make those requests, especially as we go through a tough economic time. So to answer your question on what's going to happen, we're going to see this rebalancing as it is, right? I mean, you see it now where some CEOs are saying, we want you to come back to the office two days or three days a week. And you have some employees who are saying, oh, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. We're protesting. We're not going to do that. Well, guess what's going to happen over the coming months as potential tough economic times approach. You're going to be the first person that that company is going to be letting go. So you need to think of your own self-preservation inside of the organization going forward. So the rebalancing is going to happen whether we like it or not. Yeah. Let's, I want to spend some more time on the CEO's perspective, because I know in your work, you know, for your book, for your talks, your podcast, you, you have, you have a range of different outlets to provide access to some of the leading kind of CEOs, decision makers in business. And so you have a unique perspective on how they're thinking about the world of work at this time, how they're thinking about evolving and expanding their business, especially in the environment we're in right now. What, you know, if you're talking to a room full of HR leaders and practitioners and you want to give them, hey, I'm going to distill all of what I'm learning and hearing from CEOs into these whatever, two, three, I won't even put a number on it, things that as a, as a people leader, as an HR leader, you need to be thinking about when you're designing your strategy. What, what are things that practitioners should really know about the mindset and priorities of CEOs today? So there are a few. Um, and one of them, I think, is the, what my book is based on, Leading with Vulnerability. And it's sort of a, uh, a little bit of a counterintuitive approach to vulnerability. And so the argument that I make in the book, and this is kind of an important mindset and skill set that I think we need to have, is that vulnerability alone inside of an organization specifically can actually cause more harm than good. What I mean by that is if you show up to work every day and you just keep talking about your problems, your challenges, your mistakes, your feelings, your emotions, all the things that you're struggling with, at a certain point, somebody's going to look at you and say, why are you in this job? Because we have to remember why you got hired for the role that you're in. The relationship between an employee and an employer is very basic. The employer says, I need somebody with a certain set of skills, with a certain ability to do something to fill a role that we have. And the employee says, hey, I have those skills. 
I can fill that role. I can do the job that you're looking for. And so we create the match. The employer says, great, I have the opening. The employee says, great, I can do that job. It's a good fit, let's start working. What happens is if you take that role and now all of a sudden every day you're showing up to work, talking about mistakes and failures, again, challenges, struggles, all these things, eventually what's gonna happen is the employer who brought you in is gonna say, hey, wait a minute, you misrepresented. It seems like you don't have these skills. It seems like you're not able to fill that role. And at a certain point, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, why are you in this role to begin with? You can't do this job. You're not able to do the things that we hired you to do. So then the question becomes, well, if purely being vulnerable is not the best approach, then what is? And that's the whole concept of the book, Leading with Vulnerability. That means that you need to add the leadership piece to vulnerability. Vulnerability, I think, is a very important and a valuable attribute that you can bring, but you have to combine it with competence. Being good at your job, demonstrating that you are trying to be good at your job. So a very simple example of this could be is if, you know, you work for me, I give you a project to do, you mess it up. Right? You made this terrible mistake and you come to me and you say, oh my goodness, Jacob, I'm so sorry I screwed this up, I made a mistake. Now, you have to imagine that as your employer, as your leader, I'm thinking like, why did I hire this person? Right? I gave him something to do and he screwed it up. Leading with vulnerability would say, hey Jacob, I'm really sorry I messed this project up, but here are three things that I learned from this mistake. Here's what I'm gonna do going forward to make sure that this mistake does not happen again in the future. That's the leadership piece. And so what you do there is you're still vulnerable, but you're also demonstrating to me that you're trying to close the gap, that you're trying to get better, that you're trying to learn, that you're trying to grow, that you're trying to become more competent. And that is, I think, a missing piece inside of our organizations, right? We, I think, in a lot of situations have used vulnerability, uh, vulnerability as a way to justify poor performance. But not to use a cliche, at the end of the day, there is no substitute for competence or trying to demonstrate competence or trying to get better and learn and grow. That's one of the reasons why you're hired. So I think that's a very, very important mindset, uh, a very important skill set that we need to bring inside of our organizations. Leadership plus vulnerability, not just one, not the other. And just to kind of build on that, let me stop and see if you have a question there and then I can kind of add one more piece to that. Yeah, I mean, I'd love, actually, I'd love to just, based on that description, I would love to get your definition of vulnerability. Like, when, when you think of vulnerability, and obviously you've researched this extensively for the book, like, what, how, how do you describe that? Let's kind of level set for the audience. Yes, yeah, probably a, a great place to start, huh, is to explain what that means. Um, so <laughs> vulnerability, right, Brene Brown has done a lot of work and a lot of research on this, and she talks about vulnerability in the sense of risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. For simplicity's sake, I talk about it in the book, is doing or saying something that puts you in a position where you could potentially be emotionally harmed, right? I mean, vulnerability, of course, is related to physical harm as well, but for most of us, it's about being emotionally harmed. So I say something or I do something where somebody else could take that information and potentially use it to harm me emotionally put me down, backstab me, betray me, keep me from getting promoted. Like they could use it as a way to hurt me. Uh, so that's what vulnerability means. 
Leadership is the element of competence, is being good at your job. So the definition that I have in the book of what it means to be a vulnerable leader is a leader who intentionally opens themselves up to the potential of emotional harm, that's vulnerability, but also takes action to create a positive outcome whenever possible. That's the leadership piece taking action to create that positive outcome. That is the piece that gets missed inside of our organizations. And the reason why you need both is, and some people say, well, why can't you just be vulnerable? Because if you're just vulnerable, people will look at you as being incompetent. The flip side of that, if you're only competent, people will view you as a robot, right? So you can imagine a scenario where if I work for you, and you're really good at the leadership piece. And somebody says, well, what do you think of Lars as a leader? And I'm going to say, well, wow, he's really good at closing deals. He's really good at growing the business. He's really, really smart. He's got a lot of things figured out, but I don't feel that sense of connection to him. I don't feel necessarily engaged or motivated or inspired by a Lars. I just, just, there's not that human piece there, but super smart. Similarly, if you're really good at the vulnerability piece, I might say, well, you know, Lars is just a really good person. We have this great connection and we have great chemistry when we work together, but I'm not sure if Lars is the right leader because he seems to be struggling in the role that he's in. That's why you need both competence and connection, leadership and vulnerability. Yeah. And how, like, uh, um, it, it's fascinating to kind of hear your perspective on this. And I'd love to kind of connect it through to like notions like we talk in the field of HR, certainly a lot, you know, authenticity you know, or the concept of bringing your whole self to work. And I think particularly, this is why I found your book, you know, so interesting is that from a leadership perspective, that we have seen this evolution, right? Where I think, especially prior to the pandemic, there was kind of a, a persona of an executive and it was all leadership and it was very little, uh, you know, vulnerability. So perfect, you know, but it was a veneer, right? They're, they're, we're all human. We all have human aspects to it. I think a lot of them kind of just wore this, facade that uh, they were infallible. And then I think we go through something like the pandemic, which was a humanity shaping event. And obviously we're in each other's homes, we're seeing each other's kids, we're seeing each other in those very difficult and at times dark moments. And I think back to some past conversations I even had even before and during the podcast where CPOs would come on and they would talk about sharing their own personal anecdotes around some really, you know, heavy topics from uh, infertility um, to depression and suicidal ideation. And then, but again, I think it allowed them, being open and vulnerable in that sense, allowed them to connect with their employees in a very real and authentic way. But they did couple that with the leadership of being able to say, and, and then this, you know, now this is gonna be our strategy. Like, A, I can, you can now relate. We can relate to each other a bit more because this is something that I'm just, throwing a new policy on the whiteboard and saying, this is what we're going to do. This is like, hey, I, I've actually lived this experience as well. And this is why I'm so excited about rolling out this new policy. And, and so what, what is that ideal balance, right? Of, you know, you kind of talked about if you're, if you're over indexing towards leadership or vulnerability too much, you know, you either hit your credibility, uh, you know, or, or your competency. Um, what is that right balance? How, how can you kind of think about an equation as a leader of, of really showing up with vulnerable leadership in a way that kind of, you know, enhances and honors your competency, but also allows you to kind of make those, those connections uh, with employees. 
It's a good question. I don't know what the exact balance is, right? It's hard to say, for example, 80% leadership, 20% vulnerability or vice versa. Um, I, I think it depends on the situation that you're in. And I think the context there matters, right? I mean, there are certain times where, for example, if you're leading your business through a time of crisis, maybe in that situation, what's going to be more relevant is more of the leadership piece, because people want to know that you have an idea and a plan or a potential idea or a plan to get out of that crisis or that tragedy. Whereas maybe, for example, if you're talking to an employee who's going through a tough time, all of a sudden the vulnerability piece gets dialed up a little bit. So I think it depends on the situation or the circumstance that you're in. I think the important element is that in all the conversations and engagements, interactions that you have, you need to be able to make sure that you can bring both to the table and use your best judgment on which one is required more, right? I mean, if you come to me and you're going through a tough time and I'm really just indexing on my leadership abilities, you're probably going to look at me and think, wow, Jacob's kind of a jerk here, right? Because there's, he's, you know, he said one thing to me about being human and the rest is just about the leadership piece and how he's competent and this and that. So in the book, there are these eight attributes that I talk about, and I don't need to go through all eight, but some of them include things like empathy, like self-awareness, which are important attributes. If you think about, um, you ever seen any of those Marvel movies, uh, right? Avengers, they have all those infinity stones and you oh, yeah. bring all, you bring all yep. those infinity stones together to unleash this tremendous power. So it's kind of like that for leading with vulnerability. And there's eight of these attributes or infinity stones, if you want to think of them in that regard, that when you bring them together, help unleash this power. Empathy and self-awareness are some of them as well. Um, because obviously if you don't have those things, it becomes very hard to create that connection and that relationship with others. So there's no exact balance that you need to strive for. I think the best piece of advice I can give is to make sure that you always bring both and have the context of the situation kind of guide you on what you should be using. The Amplify community has had such a profound impact on me. This work can be incredibly lonely and the caliber of humans that I have met in this group is like nothing I've experienced before. I can't express how much the community supports one another, how safe I feel sharing about the challenges that I have in the role. It is truly the safest community I've ever been a part of to share and learn from other people, practitioners, and professionals. One of the things I love so much about the Amplify community is having the opportunity to connect with a global group of peers, where we have the opportunity to come together, collaborate, innovate, most importantly, problem solve, and be able to just hold space for one another to support each other in the work that we're really pouring a lot of care and effort and energy into each and every week. I want to thank Amplify Academy community members, Chloe Sesta Jacobs, Noah Warder, and Balbina Knight for sharing their experiences. The Amplify Academy was built to help today's HR practitioners build the learning agility and network equity needed to thrive in today's world of work. Through our AI Learning Lab with over 500 resources, our global Slack community, and our leadership development cohorts, you'll build the capabilities and connections to drive your career forward. Ready to invest in yourself? Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com slash Academy. Now, back to the show. Let's, you know, I want to I kind of pull out one of those stones and examine it for a minute. And that, that's empathy. 
Because I think, you know, particularly in the field of, you know, HR, people, operations, talent, however you want to kind of define it, there's this expectation around empathy that I think personally has, you know, been one of the drivers of why we're seeing so much burnout, especially in the leadership role. This expectation that as, as practitioners, we should always be able to, you know, kind of as a default, take on the burden of everyone around us uh, and help them navigate that. And that, you know, it's unsustainable. I, I tend to, when I kind of design like a matrix around what are the core skills that chief people officers need to have today, you know, I, I, I created a temple one time, I launched it, uh, and I used compassion instead of empathy. And I got a lot of feedback saying, hey, where's empathy? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm being very intentional about emitting empathy for this reason. But I'm curious, like, do you see that? Because I know obviously the book examines leadership profiles, not necessarily HR leadership profiles specifically, but do you, do you, do you, do you encounter that there's kind of a risk for people who might not be able to regulate that empathy, you know, stone as much and end up taking on too much? Yeah. And by the way, I don't think there's a difference regardless of what kind of a leader you are, whether you're an IT leader, whether you're the CEO of a company, whether you're leading a sales team or whether you're leading an HR team. At the end of the day, a leader is a leader. You're dealing with people. Um, you're still trying to get things done. So I don't think necessarily, you know, obviously if you dive into the specific roles, if you're an IT, you need more of a technical competency. If you're an HR, maybe you need to understand a little bit more about compliance and, uh, you know, the, the employee life cycle th and things of that nature. But broadly speaking, I think leadership attributes, skills, mindsets are not that different regardless of the role that you're in. And I like that you bring up compassion because one of the, the stones that I talk about in the book is actually self-compassion. Self-compassion meaning how you talk to yourself. And the reason why this is important is because the more self-compassionate you are, the more likely you are to be vulnerable with others. And that's because vulnerability is not always going to go your way. In fact, one of the things that I can promise you is that at a certain point in your life and in your career, you will be vulnerable with somebody and it will get used against you. It's a fact of life, right? You're, you know, if you ask somebody on a date, at some point you're gonna get turned down. You ask for a promotion, at some point you're gonna be told no. You apply for a job, at a certain point you're gonna be told no. And if you're vulnerable with somebody, at a certain point it's gonna be used against you. What self-compassion allows you to do is to say, hey, you know what, it's okay. I learned from this situation, I learned from this experience, let's move on. If you don't have self-compassion, you're gonna say, oh, you're such an idiot, how could you do that? I'm never gonna be vulnerable with anybody again, you're such a moron. So self-compassion is a very, very important attribute to have when you think of leading with vulnerability. Now, kind of going back to your original question, which I believe was um, kind of like balancing empathy and make sure you're not, you're not almost like not too empathetic, right? I, I do think that, well, for, so kind of two parts to this, right? Empathy is a very, very important attribute to have. And so it's an interesting question of like, can you have too much empathy? And I'm trying to imagine what that would look like. Can you think of a scenario or a time where you have seen somebody have too much empathy? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, obviously in, in HR, people operations, uh, you know, our role oftentimes is, helping the organization and individuals navigate difficult circumstances. And with those things, especially if you look at the chief people officer specifically, those things tend to all bubble up one way or another to that person. Um, and I just think back to, you know, during the pandemic, I had one CPO who in a week um, had one of their employees, um, you know, sadly killed themselves. 
had to navigate that, had another die on the job and had to navigate the business through these happened in a very short time frame. And so, you know, when you're in those situations, they're very emotionally heavy situations. And obviously you want to show up for your employees and your team. But I think that, you know, too often when you find yourself constantly navigating those things and dealing with all the hardships that our employees face and taking those on your shoulders, that can just be, if you open yourself up, if you're too empathetic around it, it can just be a weight that can become an anchor pretty quickly. And I think ha having, having the, the sense of when to kind of be compassionate versus empathetic is an important skill, especially for longevity when you're in a role in an environment that's so open to taking on uh, the burdens and the challenges of our employees. Uh, so I think you can have too much empathy from the standpoint of um, it consumes you to the point where you're to the point where you're unable to make decisions that benefit the business or the team or the function because you're purely in an emotional state and you're not able to look at data and information. Um, right. Too much empathy. I think sometimes we see this and I have some family members and friends who fall into this category where they want to help everybody. They want to do everything to the point where they exhaust themselves to the point where they are unable to turn their attention to the things in their life or the things in their business that matter. And it's sort of an interesting problem to have, right? Because you want to be human, you want to be empathetic, but at the same time, you also need to remember that you have a duty and a responsibility. So where I think too much empathy can be a problem is when it hinders your ability to do your job, when it hinders your ability to lead a team or to lead a function. And again, it almost sounds like a little bit of a harsh thing to say, but it's true, right? And you've probably seen this firsthand, especially in some of these terrible situations where you said where employees have maybe taken their life or have gotten hurt or killed on the job, which are, of course, terrible things. Um, and sometimes it's hard to not get so emotionally invested and so emotionally involved where you, you're not able to see things clearly. And I think we've all been in that situation and we've all been in that position. And I think in those times, it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to talk to somebody who maybe can give you perspective on what's actually going on and, um, and you know, how you might be struggling. But yeah, I do think, and it's an interesting question, right? Because we don't really talk about it that often. Right? Can you have too much empathy? But you know, based on some of those examples that you've been sharing. And I think there's been some research on this too, which has shown that when you have too much empathy, it can, in some situations, cloud your judgment when you are actually presented with hard data. Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'm curious, so, you know, your book, uh, Leave the Vulnerability, it's coming out in October. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, around the corner so here. October. This is your fifth book, and I'd love to get a sense. I mean, and I'm sure that each book has its own kind of origin story. But at what point did you know that that this book was in you? Right? You had written for obviously your work was taking you around the world. You're working with a range of different business leaders. When did this topic kind of become front of mind? Where you're like, this is going to be book number five. Um, oh man! So there are a couple interesting stories from this. One is to give people some context. I did not grow up a vulnerable person. Uh, my family came from the Republic of Georgia, which is the former USSR. And even though my mom tried to model vulnerability and emotional openness as a young boy, I grew up watching and emulating my dad. And my dad is the type of person who believes in not showing your emotions, not talking about personal things. Nobody cares about your problems. Shut up and work hard. 
even to this day, when I go over to my dad's house, the first thing he'll ask me is, Hey, how many pull-ups can you do? How many push-ups can you do? How many dips can you do? Come out into the backyard. I want to count how many dips you can do. Like really like macho man kind of stuff like that. So from pretty much my entire adult life, I thought vulnerability was complete BS, right? It's, it's not something that men did. It's not something that belonged in organizations or in family life. I was not a vulnerable person. So that's kind of one lens. And I'll share a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, but the second place where this came from is even when I wrote my previous book, The Future Leader, I would hear conversations around emotional intelligence and vulnerability come up a lot from the CEOs that I interviewed. And I kind of stored that away in my mind. And when I would probe these CEOs for the new book um, about this, they would say, well, we understand what vulnerability is. We understand why vulnerability is valuable. However, inside of our organizations, we're put between a difficult spot. On the one hand, we have employees who want us to be confident and competent and visionary, and they want to know that we can chart the course and the path forward and that we can look after our employees and be strong. But on the other hand, our employees are asking us to talk about feelings and challenges and struggles. And these are two seemingly opposing perspectives. On the one hand, you want me to be this strong, competent, visionary leader. But on the other hand, you also want me to talk about all my mistakes and failures and challenges. How do I reconcile these two seemingly opposing perspectives? And so what I heard time and time again from these CEOs is that they understood vulnerability, but they also acknowledge that vulnerability for leaders is not the same as it is for everybody else. And they didn't have the resources or the tools to make vulnerability a reality inside of their organization, even though they conceptually understood what vulnerability is and why it's so important in their personal lives. But we have to remember that inside of an organization, it's a very different dynamic. You have hierarchy, you have deadlines, you have projects, you have customers, you have a team, right? There's dollars and cents, there's office politics and bureaucracy. It's not the same as just going to your mom or your best friend and talking about something because that dynamic there doesn't exist. So vulnerability inside of an organization is different and vulnerability specifically for leaders is not the same as it is for everybody else. So once I understood that, I became very fascinated with that, with that concept. So that's the one lens where it came from. Going back to the original part where I talked about my family, the interesting thing that happened to me, and again, remember, didn't believe in vulnerability, thought it was stupid, thought it was lame, didn't make any sense. And so after I signed the contract to write this book, a couple of weeks afterwards, I'm standing brushing my teeth in front of my bathroom mirror. It's probably around seven or so in the morning. And I'm standing there brushing my teeth and all of a sudden my heart starts beating ridiculously fast, you know, 130 beats per minute, which is the equivalent of, you know, a pretty good sized workout. My vision gets blurry. I have trouble breathing. I'm overcome with this fear of panic and dread. And the first thing that pops into my mind is like, great, I'm going to have a heart attack and this is how I'm going to die. And so, you know, I scream for my wife, she comes over and I'm like, I don't know what's going on with me. Obviously I'm using expletives at this point. I'm cursing a little bit, um, which I won't do on your show, but I scream for my wife. She comes over there. I lay down on the bed and my body starts convulsing. Kind of like if you've ever had the flu, you get the shakes. So I, yeah. I get the shakes going on there. I can't figure out what the hell is going on with me to make matters worse. This was during the height of the pandemic. It's during the holidays. I can't get in to go see a doctor. I try to go to urgent care and urgent care is basically like we're filled with COVID patients. We can't see you get out. And so I'm like this for a couple of days, like just losing my mind, thinking I'm about to die. Nobody can tell me anything. I'm a mess. 
I finally get in to go see a doctor and they do a EKG scan. They look at my heart and they're like, yeah, you're totally fine. I mean, I'm really big into fitness and health. So they're like, yeah, you're, you're good. You have no problems. But then the doctor looks at me and she's like, you know, you might want to go see a different kind of doctor, right? Intimating that I should go see a therapist. And I'm sitting there thinking like, you got to be kidding me. Like that's complete BS. Um, but sure enough, I go see a therapist. I get a couple sessions and, um, what ends up happening through these therapy sessions is that I find out that what caused these panic attacks was the very fact that I had committed to write a book about vulnerability when I didn't believe in vulnerability. And that was a very, uh, another kind of pivotal moment for me. And so I, through writing this book, go on this pretty interesting journey just along with everybody else. And so that the panic attack combined with what I heard from these CEOs, I think was a kind of a, a driving force for me to really dive deep into this. Yeah. Well, that's, it's an interesting backstory and I'm glad to hear that, uh, you know, having therapy and kind of coming to that awareness helped you get a grasp of that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty good. I think catalyst of then having you kind of, you know, delve into the topic of vulnerability when it was something that then became personal for you. So yeah. um, where can the audience get the book? Where, where is the best place for them to, uh, to find it? Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, so we created a special URL for it called leadwithvulnerability.com. And if people order it and send me an email with a proof of purchase to bonus at thefutureorganization.com. I'll send them some really cool CEO interviews that I did that we haven't published. Um, so they'll see the audio and the video with people like the CEO of GE and Edward Jones and a couple others. And um, my website is thefutureorganization.com. The book you can find anywhere on Amazon, you know, any preferred channel. And I always like to give people my email as well. It's jacob at thefutureorganization.com if people have any questions. And I hope that this will inspire people to be vulnerable inside of their organizations, but to also add the leadership piece. And I think if you can do that and lead with vulnerability, you'll find that you can unlock the potential of those around you, create trust, lead through change, and also drive business performance. Yeah, well, Jacob, congrats on the new book. I'm excited to, uh, to dig all the way in and thanks so much for making time to come on the podcast and giving us a window into, uh, into the book and the history and your thoughts on vulnerable leadership. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Redefining Work. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, and more, be sure to check out amplifytalent.com slash podcast. And if you dig this podcast, I strongly encourage you to share it with your CEO, leadership team, and friends to help others discover it. And if you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever your preferred podcast delivery vehicle is. We'll see you next episode.